Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 49, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders, Silver Chariot. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime. You got you caught me off guard with the new intro. I probably have caught a lot of people <laughs> off guard, especially those who have been listening to us for quite some time. You'll notice our intro is a little bit different, a little bit tailored, a little bit shorter. Um, we have decided because now we're we're almost at episode fifty of Strictly JoJo, and we're we're approaching the the ninety mark um, at Strictly Anime that we're gonna drop. The Buy Casuals for Casuals, which was our original tagline when we first started the Strictly series and the Strictly podcasts. And the reason for that is because at this point, having done podcasting for two years, just over two years, mm-hmm. um, we we feel like we're not as casual as we were when we first started. I feel like we're really in the throes of anime. We're definitely not experts or elitist or anything like that, but I feel like we've graduated from casual anime fans to real true weebs at this point. That's fair. I think after also procuring like 50 plus anime figures, you could safely say that (laughs) we are weebs too. (laughs) And to add to that, you know, by casuals for casuals, we don't want, and I'm sure this is us reading too much into it, but we, we don't want it to seem like we're just here for other casuals we're here for every type of anime fan brand new anime fans um full-on weebs fucking degenerates whatever level of anime fan you are you're welcome at the strictly series so that's kind of our our thought process for dropping it we figured you know better time better better time better now than never to make a, a change um and it's something that's going to happen with every podcast. It's something that's probably going to happen again at some point with Strictly JoJo. We're going to continue to evolve and, you know, grow and, and change. Um, hopefully not too much change, but a little bit of change is good. So, yeah, you'll notice some changes to our opening and our, our closing or our ending, whatever you call it. Um, so hopefully that didn't throw anyone off too bad. Well, you threw me off. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going to take some getting used to. I had to be very meticulous about how I, like, you know worded all of that and how i read it out because i'm like this has got to be a habit i'll have to break yeah like it's a routine that we've been used to for for strictly jojo a little over a year uh right because we started strictly jojo after we'll have our two-year anniversary in november (laughs) i think we started in november so yeah about a a year and a half of strictly jojo so once you're used to like the spiel and and all of a sudden it changes on you. You're like, what the hell? But <laughs> yeah, change change is always a good thing, or sometimes a good thing. It's mostly a good mostly thing. a good thing. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll be positive here. It's mostly a good thing. <laughs> um, and speaking of positives, we do have a new patron that we want to shout out. Yes, and that would be our newest patron. Ed. So thank you, Ed, so much for supporting the Strictly series of podcasts and for your generosity and support. To tie in with today's episode review, you got us feeling like we're riding on silver chariots. (laughs) (laughs) But not not riding silver chariot. Like we each are, okay, I'm I'm just going to stop. But but thank Uh, you. Chariots, plural. (laughs) Yes, your your support means a lot to us is what I'm trying to say. Yes, thank you. We, We... 
we seriously appreciate you, Ed. You're you're the best. Um, we also want to shout out our longtime patron Jesse James because Jesse James has moved up the ranks. Jesse James first started at our base tier, which is a casual, a fellow casual, then moved up to an anime fan tier, and has now moved up to the top tier of a fucking weeb. Wow, let's and go. And has given quite a, a generous donation uh, via our Patreon. So thank you so much, Jesse James, for your continued support. Um, they also sent us a really nice note. I won't share uh, the details of it, but you know they did mention that they've caught up on our Strictly JoJo content and then branched out to other JoJo podcasts to kind of fill that void. But uh, they didn't just, they didn't just, they just didn't get that same type of feel, that same type of magic um, is the, the word that they used um, that they get from us here at Strictly JoJo. So I just wanted to to call that out and, and you know, let you know how much we appreciate that. That that really warmed my heart. Yeah. And it's it's great that they're, they're leveling up <laughs> just in time leveling for like, up. <laughs> like graduation season too. I feel like we should be playing pomp and circumstance, but <laughs> yeah, it's just awesome that we have Jesse James as a patron and as well as Ed and all of our, our lovely patrons out there. Uh, it, it's incredible that you guys are continuing to support us so much uh, this far. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And I always say that every single time, but genuinely we do. It's such a surprise to us when we have a new patron um, or even just getting a message from one of our patrons. I'm like, oh, people want to talk to us. They want to interact with us. Um, it's just a, a weird feeling for us to know that there are people out there that enjoy our content and want to support us in our journey to grow Strictly JoJo. But if you'd also like to support the show and get access to things like bonus episodes and our pre-show, which we use as a great warm-up before this episode because we had a little bit of a break between our recording sessions and we're a little bit rusty um, and some other fun stuff, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and not only are we getting love from our patrons it seems like we're also getting love from the strictly jojo community in general uh we stumbled across a, a review where uh where was this review from it's from apple Podcasts. it's actually um, a relatively new review that we saw come through uh a couple weeks ago yeah um i have it pulled up here um, a review from the user Mindless Swag, and I will read this in its entirety. Still, so to start off, it says, Oh my God! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I listened to this podcast on Spotify, which I have rated on there already, and I had to come to Apple just to give you both a rating. This podcast has been an amazing binge for me. I recently started and finished JoJo's, and I am experiencing major JoJo's rot and have been craving more content as I slowly make my way through the manga. I do want to say that even if some people think Josuke's part was a bit boring. Oh, that's you. The, yeah, thanks for the I love out. that. Okay, I love part four. Let's go part four. Uh, he is hands down my favorite JoJo. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Yet Giorno and his part has my favorite soundtrack. Let's go. Oh, Let's go. I can't fault that. that that's, that's very good. Uh, listening to you both has been so much fun, and I love listening to each and every episode. Even though I did watch JoJo's dubbed, I still love listening to the fashion and music references as they were intended from the sub. I'm such a huge fan of the podcast, and I hope you both keep it up. Currently, I'm in the middle of the Stone Ocean reviews, so I'll be caught up soon. Much love. P.S. Sorry for the cringe name. 
I made it when I was thirteen and don't know how to change it. <laughs> you know what, mindless wag? That is okay because you left us one of the greatest reviews we this have ever awesome. received. This is awesome. Yeah, when I saw it, I was I was like smiling and laughing at the same time because of the the part four reference there. Like, damn right, okay. <laughs> Josuke is great. All right, got part four is great. out there, but I, I like the Jorno thing that. That made it better for me. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Mindless Swag. Your your review is awesome. We're we're glad that you love the podcast. Um, again, like this just warms our heart every time you know someone gives us feedback. It's 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 really important to us. I know I'm being like really sappy right now, but it is really important to us, um, and it helps us understand like what we're doing right and how we can continue to make the podcast better. So. Thank you so much for the review. We really appreciate it. And yeah, I hope you continue to enjoy the podcast. Yeah. And for our other listeners out there who uh, would like to leave us a review and also call out my hatred for <laughs> Joel's game <laughs> part four, feel free. Um, of course, on a- Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, you can just leave us the, the rating using the stars, uh, whatever service that you're listening to us on. Um, yeah, please, please give us feedback if you feel like we... We should hear it. Yeah, I'm just really feeling the love right now. Thank you, everyone. You guys are all so awesome. Oh, my God. I think what's what's really great for us is that we're very focused on making the best content we can and becoming better podcasters so we can continue to make even better content. So it's like one thing to know that what we're doing works. Um, it's another thing to know, and I think really a, a bonus to know that what we're doing resonates with people, that people, they enjoy it, they they appreciate it. There's some sort of connection there. Like that, I think, is is the greatest thing at the end of the day. Yeah, and you know what? The JoJo fandom always gets a bad rap. So you guys <laughs> are definitely breaking the mold with your positivity. JoJo so. fans got to stick together, okay? Yes. <laughs> yes, let's let's keep spreading the good vibes. Yes, and speaking of good vibes, we also got um, a tweet recently from at Musical Neil who helped us out big time because if you've been listening to our, our set of recent episodes, we've mentioned a couple of times that we thought the only sentient stand that we know about in the JoJo anime is Sex Pistols because Mista talks directly to Sex Pistols. Um, they ask him for food. You know, he like argues with them, right? So they're like a sentient stand. And we kept questioning whether there were other sentient stands out there. Well, there are a plethora of stands and, you know, sometimes it's hard to keep them all straight. But Musical Neil reached out to us to say, hey, wouldn't you consider Spice Girl and Echoes as sentient stands? And I'm like, holy shit. Absolutely. You yeah. are completely right. And How could we forget the let's kill let's the whole, kill the whole beach? <laughs> yeah. So it's just one of those things where I was like thinking about it so hard. where I, I was clearly not remembering some of the other sentient stands out there. So with... With Echoes Act 3, yes, he talks to Koichi. He calls him master um, during the hospital scene in part Mm -hmm. four. And then Spice Girl talks to Trish when they're first um, introduced to one another on the airplane. I think when they're fighting... Oh, God, what's the... Like, the dead stand? Um, Notorious B.I.G.? Yes. I think that's the stand. Um, and when Spice Girl first manifests, she go she actually tells Trish what to do. She kind of guides her through like not dying in the situation. So I would I would agree. I think Spice Girl is a sentient stand. I don't know. God, it's been so long since I've seen part five. So I don't know if there's a bunch of scenes where she talks to Spice Girl, but in that that first scene on the airplane, definitely sentient stand. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's. I know that um, Anime Brothers actually they did a, a podcast or episode, not an episode review. They did a review of Part Five recently, and so that kind of helped jog my memory. So definitely check out their episode if you haven't yet. Yeah, JD's uh, all caught up. Yeah, <laughs> caught up with parts one through five. You know, we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, and now he just has to get part six, part one out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it it's great that musical Neil was able to manifest that part of our memories back <laughs> so that we weren't just talking out of our ass and saying <laughs> oh yeah sex pistols the only sentient stand yeah thank you for for um for that tweet that was super super helpful because yeah clearly we had forgotten about those two stands talking directly to their stand users <laughs> <laughs> jojo fans looking out for other jojo fans hell yeah and keep it coming if we ever have any other mistakes or things that we forgot um throughout our episode reviews let us know tweet at us send us a message on instagram join our discord and tell us there um the link is in the description because we we appreciate the help it's a lot of shit to remember there's a lot of jojo lore out there yeah, it's almost like um, trying to keep together Star Wars lore now. <laughs> uh, okay, so a couple more items before we jump into the episode. Uh, we did have a panel that we recently hosted. I know we've talked about it a bit on Strictly JoJo, but we hosted it uh, as Strictly Anime at Anime Central 2022. If you haven't checked that out yet, we do have a special episode, um, episode 89 of Strictly Anime, which is the live recording of that panel. It's Waifu Wars, the tournament arc. So if you're interested in hearing that, um, jump on over to Strictly Anime. And the last thing I have before we jump into the episode, unless you have something else to add? Um, no. Okay. I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's not much JoJo news. Uh, there was a visual for JoJo World, which is the pop-up attraction that's going across Japan. Uh, if you, For those that uh, are familiar with it, there's a, a visual of like the, the, the six JoJo protagonists sitting in chairs. And now they've added like their their sidekicks uh, behind them standing. Um, we can probably share. It, it's a tweet uh, that I saw. Um, we can share it on the Discord. Um, that's all I had. <laughs> so you can go ahead and take a look at that um, that visual if you want to see who the sidekicks are. Even though I think behind Jonathan is Dio from part one. Yeah. And then uh, part two's. Zeppeli, part three, I think is Kakyoin. Part four, who's part four? Is it Okuyasu or is it some? No, it's it's um Rohan. I'm just doing this off memory. Part five is, I believe, Bucherati. And part six is Hermes. Um, so yeah, if you're into, into those visuals, check it out. Well, my last thing is uh, in regards to JoJo All-Star Battle R. They have opened up pre-orders for this video game, and we pre-ordered the collector's bundle because why wouldn't we as JoJo fans? It's not often we have a JoJo video game, and even though we ordered this Jolene statue in the original colors already, we're going to order it again for the collector's bundle. I'm <laughs> There's very few things that I'm willing to like dish out any amount of money toward. One of those things is anything that comes out of Legend of Zelda. The other thing is JoJo, because again, when was the last time we had a console game for JoJo? I think it was Eyes of Heaven, right? Um, I think, at least yeah, in the West. which was like, what, back uh, on the PS3? 
Uh, uh, what, what I played it on the PS4, but I think it may have been originally from the PS3. I don't know. Yeah. Looking here on Wikipedia, yes, it did come out on PS3, and then it came out on PS4, and I played it on PS4, and yeah, I just downloaded it because it was on sale one day. I actually didn't even know it existed until I saw it on the r Stardust Crusader subreddit, and yeah, I don't want to miss this collector's bundle. Yeah, that game came out, at least the uh, last release was 2016, so... So we've waited many, many years. years. (laughs) Even though this is like a a remaster of All-Star Battle. Uh, But yeah, you don't come across a JoJo game that often now. And the Collector's Bundle, I think is, at least here in the U.S., is going to be available on September 2nd. So it's a bit of a wait, um, but it includes the game, obviously. I'm like squinting because this picture is really fucking small. Um, A 10-inch Jolene statue from Grandista, which, again, like the statue itself is not new, but the color variation is new. Uh, I think it's exclusive to this collector's bundle. So we're going to have two of these statues in the original color and then in the special pre-order color. Although I'm curious to see which one will ship first uh, because we still haven't received the original Jolene statue as of yet. And then it also comes with the pre-order bonus, which is Jolene Cujo costume green dolphin street prison jacket. Oh my God, this text is so small. And then the deluxe edition bonus, which is the animation special event color set five types for the five uh jojo i think it's just like their their outfits in white yeah but not for jolene is her special one the green dolphin street prison jacket then because the mm, the yeah, five could... the the joe joe bros get their own colors but she doesn't have a white one because i think this was the that animation special event was when they announced part six uh the anime so yeah they would have only oh. featured the first five JoJo protagonists. Okay, that makes sense. Either way, still really fucking cool. I'm super excited for that to arrive. And we'll post the link to the um, pre-order website, which is just off of Bandai's store. And we'll post that in the Discord. So if you're, again, not a member of the Discord, the link to join is in the description. All right. That was a lot of JoJo info to, to get over. <laughs> get over. Or go get over. Not, I'm not trying Guys, to put this. Guys, we're so rusty right now. <laughs> not trying to put a, a negative spit on this. Sometimes that happens. I mean, we're a bi-weekly mm. podcast, so a lot happens in two weeks. That's true. A lot happens, but not a lot happens. <laughs> yeah, my, my classic line. <laughs> well, yeah, now we can move on to the meat of this episode, which is about part three, episode five, Silver Chariot. So... Oui, oui, mon ami. Il s'appelle Paul Nareff. Whoa, <laughs> look at this French. Yeah, and a little bit of a Hamilton reference there. Oh, but... I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the episode where we properly meet the avant-garde Frenchman of the Stardust Crusaders in all his cocky French glory. But I think what I love about this episode... Sorry, I thought you were going to say all of us cocky oin. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. Uh, Yeah, cocky oin, cocky French glory. Uh, But yeah, my favorite thing about this episode is that he's just severely beaten and brought back down to earth by Avdol. But yeah, did you have similar, similar thoughts about this episode? Yeah, I really like this one. Um, the animation and production quality is higher than usual. They're, 
there are some episodes that stand out when it comes to animation and production quality. The first that stand proud. That stand proud. Yeah. All these stupid <laughs> puns. The first episode is is obviously one that that looks gorgeous. This one is another one that looks gorgeous, especially in those close ups of Avdol's face and Polnareff's face during their battle. Like the detail and the shading in Avdol's face is insane. I just love how gorgeous this episode looks. I think it's a great way to officially introduce us to Polnareff, although there was a soft introduction in the previous episode. Yeah, I did notice the lines were like considerably cleaner with the close-ups of these characters um, in this episode. I feel like they wanted to a lot more of like the... Um, animation quality to these these episodes especially because they're all they're members of the stardust crusaders um, rather than just random enemy stand users um, but yeah speaking of Avdol, he definitely does take center stage in this episode with battling Polnareff I feel like he's kind of been a background character for a couple episodes. <laughs> sorry, sorry for like laughing because Rigby's um, he's like in knocked his sleep. out right now because we took him on a long walk. So he's like sleeping on his back with his little corgi paws in the air, and he's woofing in his sleep. Yeah, doing the podcast producing job. He's very supervising, well yeah. Right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, with this fight being um, Avdol versus Polnareff in true Jojo fashion. It's just a fight that's full of like one-upsmanships. And I think with Polnareff, he was a very polarizing character for me when I first got introduced to him, when I first watched part three, but he quickly grew on me. So watching him again through the lens of like love versus like animosity, it's it's interesting because you know he's just a goofy character we find that out towards the end of the episode and it's it comes at you from left field because he's very serious throughout all of this until he wants to take pictures of some women's legs <laughs> yeah I, I think the first time watching this introduction to Polnareff and then realizing that he's he's joining the team although I kind of knew that from like, the OP because uh, he's featured there he was he was a bit of an annoyance but I I'm going to try to watch this through a new lens now and see if I can uh, get a more of a feel for Polnareff this time around. With that all said, it's time to be on guard as we swing into our synopsis and discussion for Part 3, Episode 5, Silver Chariot. The pompous Polnareff who challenges Avdal to an old-fashioned standoff at Hong Kong's aesthetically outrageous Tiger Bomb Garden. Though the feisty Frenchman fluffs up the fighting fervor of his stand, Silver Chariot, Avdal uses Magician's Red special move, Crossfire Hurricane, to fling his foe into the fiery flames. But before the Stardust Crusaders can celebrate with a victory screech, Polnareff regains second Golden Wind by shedding Silver Chariot's armor to increase its Pokemon agility stats and produce an army of clones faster than you can say Django Fett. But our audacious Avdal bats not a fucking eye as he unleashes the final smash version of Magician's Red's Crossfire Hurricane and rips Polnarefu a big flaming one right under his feet. Avdal lends his crushed competitor a dagger to become an hero, but recants when Polnarefu displays chivalry that shines brighter than Silver Chariot's sheen and has Jotaro surgically remove the Squidward Jr. from his head. The flat-topped Frenchman then reconciles with the Crusaders as they await their speedwagon speedboat by the Speed Harbor, revealing that he became one of Dio's dastardly disciples to exact vengeance on his sister's killer, whom he has yet to catch double right-handed. 
When the group determines that Dio's HR team probably recruited the murderous monster, because it's fucking Dio, of course, Polnareff decides to join the Jet Setters on their journey with his je ne sais quoi. And now onto our next segment of the show, is that a music and or tarot reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. Uh, there wasn't any that I caught in this episode. We already talked about Silver Chariot being uh, reference to the chariot with the seventh card in the tarot deck from the previous episode, as well as uh, Polnareff's name. One thing that I did want to bring up, and they are not mentioned by name in this episode, even though they are featured in a flashback, is actually Polnareff's sister, Sherry Polnareff. Uh, her name is a reference to the French song Tout Tout Pour Ma Chérie, uh, which translates to Everything, Everything for My Darling by who else? Mikhail Polnareff, the French singer-songwriter from whom Polnareff takes his name. Uh, I don't remember if when we see more flashbacks. I know we see another one of Sherry further down the road. Right um, when Polnareff is going to save like Avdol's father or, or brother, whoever. Yeah, that's a really sad episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 genie episode, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I don't remember if he mentioned mentions Sherry by name, but just wanted to bring her up now since we we did see her in this episode. And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And we have a couple of them. So first off, we have Polnareff's Bravo in the air upside down. <laughs> I've seen a couple of uh, variations of this. Uh, one of my, my favorites where I was kind of like, hat is uh, anybody understands how came King Crimson works. JoJo fans, bravo, bravo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, that one's relatable. And then we have Cannonball Polnareff. I don't know if that's the official name of it, but it looks like he's jumping into a pool doing a cannonball. And it's when he, it, it's like a still from the moment he's flipping in the air multiple times and someone got one of the, the stills and it just looks like a sad Polnareff cannonball. <laughs> it's hard to describe. So of course I'll, I'll drop these memes in the discord so you can see it. Um, but yeah, it's just sad Polnareff cannonball. I was trying to figure out where they got this image of Polnareff. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's from, just this from the stupid, his stupid somersault through the air. <laughs> uh, then we have your personal favorite. Yes. Use that dagger to kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> like damn, Avdol. <laughs> like, this is like my most favorite meme out of part three. <laughs> and those are the memes. Um, as always, we'll share screenshots um, of the, the images and the memes in the Discord. And I also wanted to add a mini segment to Strictly JoJo. Ooh. If, uh, if you're willing to add this. Again, mini segment because I feel like these don't pop up as frequently as memes or music references or in part three tarot references, but I thought it'd be fun to start talking about JoJo poses. Of course, pose. Pose. <laughs> I mean, pose. you can't have JoJo's Bizarre Adventure without JoJo poses, and this episode gives us 
probably one of the most iconic JoJo poses from a Jobro, which is Polnareff's impossible pose, which he strikes at the end of the episode when he's uh, very enthusiastically telling the story about his sister's murder and his mission to find the stand user with two right hands. So yeah, I think every time we come across a JoJo pose, I'll, uh, I'll mention it after the meme rundown. Is it really impossible? I'm looking um, at a picture of someone. <laughs> he's pretty he's close to it. the ground. Are I you mean, looking at the same the guy with the beard and then the Polnareff cut out on his head? Oh, I don't have oh, anything Oh, you're here. looking at the actual. Yeah, send me, okay. send me the link. I want to see this. Uh, yeah, this is someone. <laughs> I think this is from Reddit. It says Polnareff IRL, um, who's doing the exact same pose, but it looks like he's about to fall. Bro, okay. <laughs> this guy clearly has his forearm on the ground that's uh, his hand is blocking his forearm but he's using his forearm to kind of lift him up if you look at polnareff if you look at motherfucking polnareff okay i don't think he's leaning on the ground with his forearm i think right, he's right. just hovering above the ground somehow defying gravity like the fucking song <laughs> i i i give props to this guy for recreating the pose really well but I don't know. I don't think he's uh, floating above the ground the way Polnareff is. <laughs> okay, so yeah, maybe it is like technically impossible unless you had a very strong center of gravity. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're just a JoJo character. I think one of our friends had tried to do this pose. Yeah, but... Kevin tried to do it. <laughs> and he's like, I did it. But I looked at the picture. I'm like, you're nowhere near as close to the ground as Polnareff. However... It was a good attempt. I won't knock it. It was still a very good attempt. Maybe there's a listener out there who has attempted the pose and can share the yeah. picture in the Discord. <laughs> I don't want any of our listeners to try it out right now and, and cause bodily harm to themselves in the process. But if you but, can do it mm -hmm. and you can snap a picture, join the Discord, drop it in the Discord, and blow our minds, please. <laughs> So that table clock in the beginning was pretty fucking useless. Wait, I have to... something to say before we get to that. Oh, okay. The ball sack between the eyes. I talked about this in the last mm -hmm. episode, and there's a great screenshot. This is how I'm going to start off our episode review, okay, guys? We're going to talk okay. about the ball sack between <laughs> the eyebrows because, yes, every uh, every male JoJo character in Part 3 has them, but none are as prominent as Polnareff's. There's one particular still I grabbed. I'm going to send it to you right now where it's like just so in your face that you can't look away. And I'll I'll share it in the Discord as well. But look at that beautiful ball sack between Polnareff's non-existent eyebrows. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe I'm just a connoisseur of eyebrow ball sacks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're kind of shriveled. <laughs> like this is like in your face, right? Like this, it's so weirdly drawn that you can't look away from the space between his eyes. <laughs> Yeah, although I, I'm I'm noticing more like how Polnareff doesn't have like eyebrows in this yeah. shot too. But yeah, of course that the balls take center stage here. Well, now that I've got that out of my system, yes, the clock. We have we 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 pick up right where we left off in the last episode with the the clock for some reason. Yeah, because Polnareff was like uh, to Avdal, he's saying, "I'm gonna beat your ass before this clock strikes 12. and then Avdal just breaks the hook and clock. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it because it shows like Avdal, like again, he hasn't been like fully present as a as a forefront character in the past couple episodes, but here, 
Um, obviously, he was like the first uh, the first stand user that Jotaro encountered. He was the first person to to duke it out in battle um, in in part three. And so this is just a reminder that Avdol can't be fucked with. I I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Jojo character introductions are always so fucking over the top. And Polnareff's is no exception. I mean, you think about like Speedwagon's introduction in part one, where he was like flinging his hat full of blades at Jonathan, um, or the way fucking um, uh, Stroheim was introduced in part two. I mean, he's a fucking mm. crazy ass Nazi <laughs> who scream laughs. I, I, no, no difference here. Polnareff is doing some shit that we don't understand, but it's all theatrics because he needs to have a dramatic introduction. Yeah, it's the the absolute French conceit, which is <laughs> again why I like that it's Avdal who steps up to the plate and faces him because, you know, as much as Avdal is like a fortune teller, he's very, he's the very pragmatic person of the group, very down to earth, and you need someone to to pull Polnareff down from that pedestal, uh, and I just love it. like even from the get go, he he just scoffs at Polnareff's threats mocking Polnareff in French by saying merci beaucoup and calling him Monsieur Polnareff. Like just those those small slights that, that crawl under Polnareff's skin. And I do find it really interesting that Polnareff first faces off with Avdol of all the Joe Bros, considering their relationship throughout part three. I mean, the two of them have a very interesting friendship where they're hot and cold. Sometimes they're best friends and sometimes they're butting heads. Um, and then you have the whole, you know, Avdol seemingly dying and Polnareff bearing that guilt for, you know, many, many episodes. And then Avdol coming back and sacrificing his life to protect Polnareff, right? Uh, <laughs> well, Wait. this is where our memory gets hazy again. Yeah. Well, I know Polnareff was there to see um, Avdol, quote unquote, resurrected. Right. Yes, but then when Avdol gets like vanished by uh, Vanilla Ice. Uh. Okay. <laughs> we just we had to do a little bit of cheating by looking at the JoJo uh, wiki. Um. It does say here that Avdol pushed Polnareff and Iggy out of the way of Vanilla Ice's attack and received the set attack head-on. So yeah, he's sacrificed himself a lot for Polnareff. Yeah, so that's I think that's why it's so, again, interesting that the first person that Polnareff faces off with when he's introduced to the group is Abdul. I mean, really, that's kind of the, the only Joe bro he faces off with because he's got the flush button that gets removed. Um, so yeah, I just... It's a it's an interesting start to their very interesting relationship. And throughout this fight, like Abdul is confident, um, and Polnareff is equally confident. So it's like a battle of confidence <laughs> like the whole time. Well I would say Abdul is confident and then Polnareff is just conceited. <laughs> True. Yeah, I think that's a better way to put it. Yeah, you're right. Um and one of the first examples is Abdul's confident because magicians red can burn through anything and he can control fire. But then Polnareff is like, nah, dude, Silver Chariot can sever fire. <laughs> so I think that was, um, I don't know how to describe it. Like it was the moment that Avdol realized that Polnareff is a strong person. But later in the fight, he starts to realize he's also a chivalrous person, which we'll certainly get to because that, that plays into why he stops Polnareff from burning alive. 
which makes sense because you see chivalry um, associated with like knighthood and you have silver chariot who looks like a, a scrawny ass knight <laughs> um while we're on that topic i, I did want to pull up this piece of info uh, a piece of trivia about silver chariot is that since star platinum looked like a human araki decided to make silver chariot look more robotic as well as contrasting star platinum's punching fighting style with star or not star platinum uh, with silver chariot's sword or sword fencing and such oh that's cool i was gonna say i mean the stands in the jobro group are very very different especially, you know, fucking flaming chicken, magician's red that we have here. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's nice to know that there was, I mean, I'm sure it was, in, it was intentional either way, but it's nice to know there was like a whole kind of thought process behind that of wanting to give a very varied group of stands among the Joe Bros. Although Polnareff kind of steals um, the aura cry. Um, he says it's more, Yeah, it's more refined. I was like, hora. although i don't know if he says that as often throughout the rest of part three i think he may say it a couple more times Mm -hmm. but it's not as prevalent as ora ora yeah but in the middle of this fight um polnareff stops things and for some reason fucking teleports behind everyone and there's literally no explanation of how he did this like what the fuck since when can he teleport because he's talking to them right he's about to face off with avdol and then he just vanishes and shows up behind them in the doorway and says hey let's take this fight outside where you can use your flames more openly but again no one explains how he suddenly fucking teleports I get that Silver Chariot is very quick, but Polnareff's not really quick. He's just a human. Hmm. Yeah. I have. I have no words. It's just another instance of well, how do these characters have this ability now, and then Araki just forgets them down the road. Exactly. Yeah. He loves to give new characters crazy abilities and then never acknowledge like seventy-five percent of them ever again. It's the same thing we experienced with Kakioin's introduction. But I had to call that out because I was watching that. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, no one no one took the time to explain what the fuck just happened. Maybe it's in the, the flat top. That's what gives him his, his speed. <laughs> All um, of his power is drawn from his hair. <laughs> fast flat top. I don't know. <laughs> um, I do want to call out sound design, as always, because I fucking love sound design in JoJo. And the sound design for Silver Chariot's fencing is so pleasing to listen to it's like this shing thwip sound like when he is uh, when it's like stabbing things it you know rapid when it makes the the shish coin bob shish coin bob (laughs) (laughs) it's a really cool sound like when it starts like flinging the fencing sword around Mm -hmm. it's just i don't know how you describe it like a shing thwip is probably the closest that i can recreate that sound but it's really pleasing to listen to i love watching silver chariot fight just so I can hear that noise. Yeah, it's kind of like when you hear a sword being unsheathed, but it it has more oomph. And almost like the underlying sound of like a pen or like a writing utensil, like just scribbling really fast. I'm like trying to like recreate the sound in my head. There's like something about it that has kind of like this wind whooshing noise at the same time. Mm-hmm. Sound design, man. They do it so well, Red David production. Um, so then Avdol uses Crossfire Hurricane uh, when they get to Tiger Balm Garden. 
And this is apparently a move Joseph has seen before because he warns the other guys to hide. But my question is, after this episode, do we see Crossfire Hurricane again? We might. I just don't remember. Because um, Optimus doesn't have a shit ton of fights because he disappears for like a good chunk of the show. Yeah, I, I can't recall off the top of my head. But also, I, I'm very bad at remembering just attacks and like attack names and attacks in general. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's it's one that is prevalent in this episode, at least, as we see various versions of it being used against Polnareff. We'll have to make a mental note to see when Avdol uses Crossfire Hurricane again. Fun fact, Tiger Bomb Garden does not exist as of today. Um, what does that mean? It did at some point? Well, this took pl- like this took place in what late 80s. Yeah. Um, Tiger Bomb Bar- Barden. Tiger Bomb Garden opened in 1935, but it was closed to become a an amusement park in 1985, then turned into housing in 1998, then it was demolished for redevelopment in 2004. And so right now what's on that site is the Halpar Mansion and a private garden which is preserved as a museum wait it closed in 1985 doesn't part three take place in 89 oh maybe they kept a section of the garden that's where we see polnareff and just so that polnareff and abdo could fight yes (laughs) (laughs) and then that's why they had to Converted again in 1998 because of the damage, the yeah. catastrophic damage. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that headcanon. I like it. <laughs> um, Paul Nareff, a side note, does say yada yada da. And when he says that, I'm like, hey, only Jotaro can say that. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. not the full yada yada da ze, it's yada yada da. But I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Well, that's, at least that's uh, Jotaro's line. Yeah, Jotaro gets to say that line at the very end in its entirety. So it's still reserved for him. Um, since you were talking about sound design earlier, I wanted to comment on music design. <laughs> or Is this just... what you were listening <laughs> yes. for for like a <laughs> half an hour? Because <laughs> like, like, what the fuck are you doing? So at at one point um, in the initial fight in the garden between Polnareff and Avdol, there's this percussive beat that plays um, after Polnareff shows off his his abilities, and then Avdol gets to like gets his turn. And it's this like this drum beat that's like dun 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 dun, dun. and like uh, along with the rest of the melody in my head, like I kept hearing this and thinking, "What? This sounds familiar." And so I did a bit of digging, and you know what? I haven't made a Dark Knight reference in a long while. Oh, <laughs> so that you have not. <laughs> this is going to be. This is actually a Dark Knight Rises reference. Uh, so the soundtrack that you hear it at this point uh, uh, in Stardust Crusaders on their soundtrack, the, the song is called Imminence. And it sounds very similar to a, a track from the Dark Knight Rises soundtrack, which is called Gotham's Reckoning. Again, these two have like the very similar percussive beat, as well as like these frantic strings that play in the background. Um, the only reason i'm noting this is because the soundtrack in the dark knight rises is used in a scene where the the villain of that movie bane says the line the fire rises whoa (laughs) so 
The Dark Knight Rises came out in 2012. This episode in particular for JoJo was released in 2014. So I want to say Yugo Kano, the composer, probably took some inspiration from The Dark Knight Rises, from Hans Zimmer, the composer of that film, and and at least putting this sound or this score and this particular fight where it's Avdol and his use of his fiery magician's red. I like that. I don't know if that's legit, but that's that's good <laughs> headcanon. You know, we're, we're all full of the, the headcanon today. Yeah, so I can also share these two tracks on our Discord so you guys can give it a listen and see for yourself if there are similarities. But yeah, I, it, like as soon as I heard that, I had to look up the tracks and make sure that I wasn't dreaming. I was so confused. I'm like, why are you listening to the entirety of the Stardust Crusaders soundtrack right before <laughs> we're supposed to record. I'm like, what's happening? But then you found it and you were just like, listen to this. Yeah, it was that, what do they call it? Like kind of musical fission is what it's <laughs> called. Like where music just gives you that 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 sense of pleasure. And pleasure. <laughs> and finding it, like finding that one melody. Well, as the fight continues, um, we have a, a weird moment of logic where watching it i'm like yeah no i don't think that's what's happening here and that's when the flames apparently melt the joints of the statue that silver chariot made resembling magician's red to look like the real magician's red so polnareff flings um magician's red's fire back at avdol i'm like slowly recreating this in my head flings mm -hmm. it back at avdol avdol's on fire right and magician's red is also on fire so then magician's red lunges at polnareff and silver chariot and then they cut magician's red in half but then he's like why is there resistance why does it feel like there's mass here and Avdol says it's because this is not a Magician's Red. It's the statue that you carved that looks like Magician's Red, but <laughs> it was melting at the joints, which is why it looked like it was moving. And I'm like, bruh, there's no fucking way you can convince me that the, the statue would melt in a way that looks exactly like Magician's Red moving and lunging for an attack. There's just no fucking way. Yeah, I figure the statue would be made out of rock. Rock melts. It probably though, is right? some sort of stone material, and mm -hmm. yeah, I'm guessing at a high enough temperature, it'll start to become more mal malleable. Is that the word? Mm -hmm. But again, for it to look exactly like Magician's Red intentionally lunging in for an attack, I'm like okay, that's a stretch. That's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, unless you know, like the flames were like also just manipulating how Polnareff was viewing the statue, but that's just getting too technical. I would have actually believed that more if Abdul said, well, I can control fire, and so I use the fire to move the statue like a doll and move it toward you. Like That I would, that I would buy into a bit more, um, but this is the explanation we got from Iraqi, and I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll suspend my disbelief for this one. <laughs> also, I figure Abdul would be fireproof and even like magicians red like as much as polnareff was trying to burn them you think they would be immune to their own abilities i right? think i think even if he's not immune if he can be burned he could easily just have stopped the fire before it even reached him mm -hmm. but i think he intentionally let himself get burned to let polnareff lower his guard that's my guess or to like psych him out i think it was more of just like a, a, a battle strategy more than anything 
one-upsmanship. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, then um, we have more one-upping because when Polnareff seems to be down for the count and the uh, the Joe Bros are already heading down the stairs, Silver Chariot sheds its armor. And when its armor is off, according to Polnareff, that means it's lighter and faster. And then again, I'm thinking to myself, do we see Silver Chariot shed its armor again? I think there's one other fight I don't remember which one it is, but I want to say there's one more time in part three that we do see Silver Chariot shed its armor. Yeah, I, I can't recall. We'll have to keep <laughs> a mental note of that. It's Maybe been... a musical Neil can jog our yeah. memory. <laughs> someone, <laughs> someone reach out and let us know. Otherwise, we'll just keep a mental note as we go through each of these episodes. Um, and then same thing with the Shadow Clones. Do we see the Shadow Clones move again from Silver Chariot throughout part three or even part five? Um, I don't think we see it in part five. No, I don't think in part five. But yeah, I mean, we'll, again, keep a mental note. It's It's been, what, a year since we've last watched part three. So some of the minor details like this we'll, we'll struggle to remember, but we will keep an eye out for those moves again. And then you have the eye catch, which shows the stand stats for Silver Chariot. Um, so just to briefly go over that chart, you have destructive power at C, speed at A, Range at C, durability at B, precision and accuracy at B, and development potential at C. Um, development potential is kind of interesting because he has that clone cloning ability, but as you said, we don't see that anymore. So We might not see it anymore. We'll see. Um, after the eye catch, uh, well, my first note here, uh, that magicians red is fucking ugly. I just, I think watching this fight again, I'm like, this is an ugly ass stand. Like, I'm sorry. I do not like the stand design for magicians red. Like it's this really ugly, but oddly buff chicken with long nails and then this is the first time that i noticed it has legs remember i i made you go back a couple seconds i'm like wait Mm -hmm. are those like feet is that a boot on magician's red so i thought magician's red was just like all flames on the lower half i know they separate to look like legs but i thought for the most part it was just kind of like fire down there well, there is a shot where Magician's Red is standing behind Avdol, and the camera is behind Avdol looking at Polnareff, and there's a foot sticking out of the fucking fire, like an actual boot. And I'm like, why have I never noticed this until literally my third or fourth watch through? Like, what is going on with this foot that's sticking out there? And then I kept looking through the rest of the episode, and I didn't see the foot ever again. So that's another thing I'm going to keep an eye out for is, like, fucking Magician's Red, Magician's red's actual feet or legs appearing at random moments yeah i'm looking at a figure of magician's red it also shows the boots Wait, <laughs> was... it has boots in the figure let me look at this up yeah um the thing i was thinking about as you were looking at magician's red's feet is that um you know like it, i think it's supposed to be flames that make up his pants it just reminds me of like looking at chicken legs because <laughs> it is a <laughs> it is a like a bird like creature and then the more i look at it now this is kind of like a i made the same reference in attack on titan the final season part 2 but <laughs> magician's red reminds me of the birds of war from always sunny oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> where they have the uh they have the um the 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 what the fuck I'm losing my words the feathers the the headpiece oh the which, beak yeah <laughs> the eagle's beak and such and then it's just the uh, their their naked torsos and pants 
Okay, yeah, I do see the boots here on like these figures, but damn, like Magician's Red is so ugly. I'm looking at these figures, I'm like, this is an ugly ass stand. Look at that weird ass head and like that beefed up body. It's kind of like um, Tokoyami a... <laughs> from fucking My Hero uh, Academia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I don't know, like it just, the, the head and the body don't mesh. They just don't. And it's, it's like not a the rooster, first time. rooster bodybuilder. Yeah, and it's not the first time we've seen an anthropomorphic type of character that has like the body of a human and a head of an animal. Um, but yeah, this, this thing is so ugly. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I thought I thought that the lower half was just a bunch of flames, almost like genie from Aladdin, where he's just mm. like like nothing on the bottom, like he just has I don't know what you call like a magical tail of some sort yeah it's just nothingness on the bottom that's what I thought but now my mind is blown that he has actual legs and boots and shit anyway I had to note that because it just was it was out of left field for me when I caught that on this watch through they kind of look like genie shoes in a way they do yeah so there's that kind of mystical element to magician's red well he's still ugly Jeez. <laughs> Uh, well, moving on, uh, we also see Abdul use Crossfire Hurricane Special, where he breaks up the fire into um, a bunch of little like onk shape flames. Um, so another one where we'll have to keep an eye out and see if he ever uses that special move again. Uh, we also have some dialogue about how Silver Chariot has extremely high precision. But my question is, is Silver Chariot as precise in its moves as Star Platinum. Because we've also heard in earlier episodes how precise Star Platinum can move. Fast enough and precise enough to catch a bullet or to pull the flesh buds out of your fucking forehead. So now I'm questioning, like, in a battle of precision, who would be more precise? Let's see. I'm looking up uh, Star Platinum stand chart right now. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five. Just seeing where this lands on the circle. Star Platinum's precision and accuracy rating is A. So it would be more accurate and precise than Silver Chariot, which is ranked B. Interesting. I'm surprised that Silver Chariot's not also an A in precision with the way they're touting the precision of the stand. Well, again, it's Polnareff being conceded. But even right? then, it's Avdol too. He's saying, holy shit, your stand's really fucking precise. Like when he mm. cuts up Avdol's face and like carves those onks symbols into his face he's like damn that precision well let's look at magician's red st stand chart and <laughs> like see where his d for everything it, it is actually d in precision well there you go <laughs> so yeah, anything looks better than whatever magician oh wait sorry it's not d it's c i was looking at um hermit purple c tier precision yeah so it's so still like it looks better than whatever Magician's Red is producing in terms of accuracy. So I'm sure that's why Avdal was saying your your stand looks accurate. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. And speaking of Avdal, then we get that nice uh, moment where as he's burning Polnareff alive, he throws him a dagger and says, <laughs> "Use that dagger to kill yourself because burning is a terrible way to die." Like, oh, well, that's that's thoughtful of you, Avdal. <laughs> you could stop the flames, yeah, because you can control the flames. But instead, you're like, nah, just stab yourself to death. Yeah, I guess he was being courteous in offering Polnareff a less painful way to die, but <laughs> still, it just you know, taking that line out of context, it just always gets to me. <laughs> but uh, immediately after that, 
as Polnareff is burning alive, he chooses not to backstab Avdol and admits that he, he being Polnareff, was acting conceited throughout this whole fight. And I, I first questioned how is he able to behave in this chival chivalrous way while under the control of a flesh bud. But then Avdol kind of clarifies that in his dialogue with Polnareff, saying, despite being under Dio's control, your honor shines through. You still remain chivalrous. You still do the right thing. You're even so respectful as to explain your moves to me. And I think Polnareff also says that it would be disres disrespectful to kill himself after the the great battle that he had with Abdul. So it's just kind of, um, I don't know. I think it's very telling of Polnareff's, you know, true nature that despite being under the control of one of the most powerful beings, he's still able to allow his true personality to shine. Part of that true personality is being a dumbass, but <laughs> the chivalrous part of him is able to shine. Yeah. I, I like to think that the flesh bud only highlights the, the more sinister parts of of the nature of whatever person they're controlling. Um, so like here, since Polnareff had gone through all these avenues to try and defeat Avdol, obviously he was at his wit's end. And so, as you were saying, that's where Polnareff's true character and personality shone through. Um, just just really realizing that he was at the point of death that he he had been defeated fair and square yeah and it's kind of interesting that kakyoin didn't show traits of his true nature throughout his battle with jotaro probably because he's not as strong as um as polnareff is because i know that joseph had explained in an earlier episode that the flesh bud will kill you faster if you're not as strong of an individual mm, yeah so then avdal calls over jotaro to remove the flesh bud from polnareff's forehead and soak it in people avdol calls him jojo it's going to be one of the last times we hear anyone use jojo in jojo's bizarre adventure intentionally uh, mostly well ex except for part six when they call her jojo they call jolene jojo and then she's like only my mom can call me that mm -hmm. so it's gonna be a while before we hear an intentional jojo nickname i think the jobros stopped calling jotaro jojo in part three either in the next episode where they fight that like fisherman stand user dude or in the one after that where i think they're fighting the orangutan i want to say they're on a boat when we let when we last hear anyone call jotaro jojo i could be wrong but we'll keep that in mind so yeah soak it in because this is one of the last times you'll hear an intentional jojo for quite some time that's kind of sad but again i just like the variations on the jojo name so yeah it is kind of bittersweet um it makes sense because there's going to be a lot of jojos as time goes on and it's difficult when there are multiple jojos in a scene together but uh you know it is what it is it'll be like that spider-man meme of all the spider winning hands pointing at each other <laughs> we never lose the essence of jojo because like you said and like we talked about before every jojo protagonist has a tie-in to the jojo nickname you just don't hear them called jojo you know, as often as parts one and two. So then uh, Joseph, 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 I love him so much. He breaks the tension of this very intense fight by getting grossed out by the flesh bud and the tentacles flailing around. Like you go from this very dramatic moment where Polnareff is like dying and he's still being chivalrous and Avdol wants to save him. And then it's like 
a 180 immediately. Like the goofy music kicks in. It's Joseph squirming around, like great voice acting where he's acting <laughs> all grossed out. It's just so fucking funny. Yeah, he's he's like squirming like a kind of like a, a little girl yeah. in this part, but then it it's him just like showing his disgust in his his masculine voice. And as he's freaking out, you have Jotaro from the side telling him to shut the fuck up. And then uh, I think Joseph makes that pun about being best buddies now that Polnareff doesn't have the flesh butt. And so Jotaro asks Kakioi, and he's like, "Do you also hate guys who use puns?" Or no, he says something like. Do guys who use puns also piss you off? And I just, I love the dynamic here. Like every time Joseph and Jotaro have this like butting of heads, it's so funny because they're, they're, you know, grandfather and grandson, but they're complete opposites in terms of their personality. Yeah. And they weren't even the highlight of this episode, but it's just that little peppering of their relationship. (laughs) (laughs) So then we move into... Polnareff's backstory and the reason he is on this journey and, you know, trying to find Dio and whatever. So he explains that his sister was killed by a stand user that has two right hands. Um, and a couple of cool things come out of this scene. Before that, though, he he asks Joseph to remove the glove. I was about to say that, yeah. So he asks him to remove his gloves so that he can see if he has two right hands. He says, this is a weird question, but can you just show me your hands? And it's really cool because Joseph mentions that he lost his hand in a battle 50 years ago. And I'm like, bro, the nostalgia, the nostalgia back to that battle with cars in part two. It's just, it's not even real nostalgia because it didn't happen that long ago for us as the viewer, but... It's just fun to like have those callbacks, those subtle references to past parts. Yeah, that's true. What I was more thinking of is like, does Joseph need to remove the glove from his hand to show that it's not a right hand? Like, couldn't you kind of just tell by the way that his... Like the grip? Yeah, and like seeing where his... What do you call this part of your hand? I don't know. Like the palm, like yeah, yeah, like where his joints would would move in, you'd tell it's not a, a yeah. right hand. You tell it's a left hand. Yeah, like you wouldn't need to remove it. Like Joseph could just move his arm around and show him, like, no, this is a left hand. Yeah, but I think it's also you know to play something up the, that it plays up to the the reference to part yeah, two. But I nostalgia. also think that if this guy is joining their group it probably makes sense for everyone in the group to know, by the way, my hand isn't real in case it like gets ripped off at any point, right? Mm-hmm. Or he needs to repair it. He probably doesn't want to startle everybody and be like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you that my hand is made of metal. Very Luke Skywalker of him. <laughs> yeah, I always get um, really excited when there are those callbacks to past parts. So I'm glad that they added in that that little moment. But then I have a question about the stand user and the way Polnareff explains the... Um, the the murder with his sister he says that before he attacks his sister he was standing he being the enemy stand user was standing in the rain just like in the distance looking at them or something and that he had almost like a dome over him protecting him from the rain and i'm like what the fuck is that that is that part of his stand power because i don't think it is yeah, I, I did a little bit of research on this. I, I want to say this is just an Iraqi forgot moment, but for or to jog everyone's memory, uh, the killer of Polnareff's sister is Jay Guile, and his stand is Hanged Man, which is a stand made of light and is able to travel from one reflective surface to another. 
So I think it's that reflection aspect of the stand where it was probably allowing things to like not like the the rain to bounce off of um Jay Giles like body. Uh, it's kind of a stretch yeah, cuz it's it is light. A but mm. um But more so like the reflective nature of the stand. I guess. Okay. I'll I'll take it cuz that's probably the best explanation we're going to get. <laughs> Otherwise it, it's just a rocky forgot. Yeah. <laughs> um and at the end of Paul Nareff's uh backstory again he strikes his impossible pose as he says, you know, his whole goal is to find his sister's killer and get revenge. And then he goes to to Dio in in a moment of weakness, right? I, was it Polnareff who who met up with Dio? I don't know if he specifies whether he intentionally sought Dio or if he just happened to run into him because he seemed pretty surprised when he walked up the stairs and saw Dio. And also, what's with Polnareff meeting his demise when he walks up the stairs? I think this is like the lesson. <laughs> yeah. So I know it's a meme, right? Like Polnareff and staircases is definitely a meme because at the end of part three, he faces off with Dio for a, a little bit where he keeps getting pushed to the bottom of the stairs when Dio uses the world to stop time. Mm-hmm. And then in part five, he also runs into Diavolo where Polnareff's at the top of the stairs and Diavolo's at the bottom and he's coming up to approach him and he's in that wheelchair. So it's like he can't really run down the stairs mm-hmm. um i think this is a lesser known one where polnareff does walk up the stairs in his flashback from egypt the first time and he sees dio at the top of the steps and then dio implants a flesh butt in him so there really is like people joke about the staircases i think that is a legitimate thing here just like the toilets with polnareff <laughs> i wonder if that was intentional or if you know, like Araki just put him in these scenes and there just happened to be stairs there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing with uh, with you know, Dio using, again, his charisma and and trying to convince Polnareff to, to side with him um, in order to, to take the pain away of his sister's death as well as um, trying to help him find this man with the two right hands. I think it's interesting. It's interesting here because with Kakyoin, I feel like there it was just Dio simply using his charisma and his persuasive skills. But with Polnareff, it's it's like Dio is taking advantage of his emotional distress and just twisting it in a way to Dio's own benefit because I'm sure he could care less about Polnareff's closure with his sister. And it just just that in itself it just feels far more sinister than Dio simply using his persuasive skills to lure people to his side yeah and i mean dio straight up knows who the stand user is because by this point he's already in cahoots with enya and it's enya's son oh is that what it is yeah the stand jay guile is enya's son because she also has two right hands I forgot about that. So wow. I think that, like, yeah, I think it's very much a manipulation scheme by by Dio at this point. And it's cool, though, because in this scene, we see him using Hermit Purple yet again on the crystal ball to show Polnareff what is projected by his heart as he explains it. And it's also cool because we get um, Pet Shop on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I know we asked this question before when we got introduced to Kakyoin, but now that we've seen the second flesh bud with Polnareff, do we see flesh buds again 
in part three, I want to say no. And I want to say the explanation that's given in the show is that all of these other stand users are evil at heart and therefore they're persuaded by Dio and they follow Dio of their own accord. They don't need a flesh bud because they're already evil and wanting to just join the cult of Dio. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to look at, again, look at the Jojo wiki, but yeah, it would make sense that we don't see flesh buds because Dio needed the, like he needed to convince these Stardust Crusaders. Um, everyone else is just a, a shill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And after all of these uh, fun explanations, fun's probably not a good word, but after all these explanations and backstories and whatnot, Paul Nareff up and decides to join the gang when no one fucking invited him. He's just like, you know what? I'm joining you guys. I'm going with you to Egypt to destroy Dio so that I can find the the dude who killed my sister. And they're all like, okay, well, that's fine, I guess. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the, the true Frenchman. Uh, and his conceit. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the girls who come out of nowhere and interrupt the conversation because they uh, they ask for a picture when their real intent is to talk to Jotaro because they think he's hot. And I'm like, this is so fucking funny. He, of course, yells at them saying, you're annoying me. Go away. Go ask somebody else. They and also then... cut off his yare yare does it. Yeah. <laughs> like they just literally pop in and interrupt their whole, their whole thing. And then Polnareff immediately jumps in and takes the pictures of the girls in in place of Jotaro and flirts with them and I'm like dude the 180 flip from this like headstrong conceited guy to this fucking clown is absolutely amazing and that's what I fucking love about Polnareff I truthfully didn't like Polnareff at first when I first watched part three because I thought he was ugly. <laughs> that was like the main reason. Like this guy's so ugly. I don't know if I can it's keep the looking flat at him. Top, isn't and it? the no eyebrows and like his like his like tube top with a strap. But he quickly grew on me because as I mentioned before, I have a soft spot for the lovable stupid characters. And now he's become one of my favorite characters from this part. Have we ever labeled like the the dere dere types of this group? No, we haven't. You know what? That we would should... be a fun like discussion episode, figuring mm -hmm. out the the archetypes of the dere dere types of the Jotaro, the Jotaro, the Joestar characters, or even just all the JoJo characters. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what they would be for this. I I know like Jotaro is probably like the the Sundere, and that's all I can think of right now, uh, but. Yeah, I think like each of the characters just they they bring their own dynamic to the Stardust Crusaders, even though Polnareff just butts in when no one asked. <laughs> I will say, rewatching this whole scene and rewatching the moment that Polnareff decides on his own to join the boys in Egypt and to become a Jobro is bittersweet, and the reason being is because he seals his fate where he leads a very difficult life after part three because of this decision that he makes. And um, like, I'll kind of like break it down, right? Because we learn in part five that he worked with Jotaro to track down the stand arrows. And then he didn't see Jotaro again, I think after that. And then he ends up getting attacked by Diavolo during that journey, that journey to find the stand arrows. Um, and then he gets attacked Oh no! It, it, he gets attacked by him at that first encounter and loses his eye, right, and the use of his legs. 
And then he continues his mission in Italy only to get attacked by Diavolo again, like has his consciousness transferred to a turtle and then lives the rest of his life as a fucking turtle. All because he made <laughs> yeah. the decision in this episode to join the Joe Bros and go to Egypt to fight Dio. It's just like rewatching it now, knowing the full context of Polnareff's story is kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. I, <laughs> there's so many things that are coming back to memory now. I, I forgot that Polnareff's ultimate fate is just becoming a turtle. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, anyone that's kind of tied with the, the story of the Joe Stars, they, they kind of all have very sad fates, including the Joe Stars themselves. But I, I think on the brighter side, it's always them fighting for the, the greater good, of course. I think that's why JoJo characters are so endearing. Like, whether they're a JoJo, whether they're a JoBro, whether they're a minor character, they are so endearing because they take on the full burden of being part of or associated with the Joestar lineage. Polnareff is a great example of that. And I do want to, you know, give pops to Polnareff for never stopping his journey to, you know, find stand arrows and to stop enemy stand users even after he parts ways with Jotaro and Joseph at the end of part three and all of that. Like, he, he continues to fight the good fight even as his fate gets worse and worse and worse as time goes on. Yeah, and the end of this episode, we just see him as a as a horn dog <laughs> so that, <laughs> that doesn't help his case right now but yeah i do miss uh funny polnareff he, he didn't make an appearance in part five i think well he kind of did when he became a turtle i guess he had some good quips and stuff mm-hmm. but uh but yeah good old polnareff and then, he was just a turtle at that point he's like, probably what like else? fuck <laughs> it like i mean he lives a cushy life now right because he's with Jorno and he's part of the 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 leaders of the mafia so hopefully Jorno's you know given him a great life after everything he sacrificed um and i like to think in my head canon that eventually he reunites with jotaro through like just the joestar bloodline and finding enemy stand users and whatnot um but yeah again props to polnareff and in the preview for the next episode we get a teaser for Anne. right is that her name um yeah, I think it is. It is Anne. Yeah. I, I want to call her Annie. I don't know why I keep thinking Annie, but yes, Anne. So uh, yeah, she's going to be an interesting character to talk about. I think this the next two episodes where it takes place on the boat are, are kind of fucking weird. <laughs> but yeah, we, we start with Anne and then I think it was, it was the captain, I think is... Is the next see. enemy stand user. Yeah, the yeah. next stand of the week or the next stand of the, the bye week. Yeah, on our podcast. We're, now that Polnareff's been introduced, like we're in the like legitimate stand of the week formula because now we don't have any more. Well, we have Iggy, mm-hmm. but um, there's like a different enemy stand user during Iggy's introduction. Yeah, so buckle in for that ride. Enemy stand user of the week. And that brings us to our final thoughts for part three, episode five, Silver Chariot. So did this episode bring out these silver chariots of fire in you (laughs) yes it did i love polnareff he's great and i think the the entirety almost entirety of this episode he is again headstrong he's intense he's conceited and then in the last like two minutes you get the 180 flip where you see like the real polnareff the goofy ridiculous guy who 
just is is so much fun to watch in every single scene. So I I really enjoy this episode because I think they put a lot of thought into who Polnareff was going to battle, how the battle unfolded, how they realized that he was a good guy and not like a, a true enemy stand user. Um, the animation quality is fantastic. Hearing his backstory, I think they gave us just enough information to make us want to root for him. I just think this is a fantastic way to introduce a character. I feel like Kakyoin's introduction was pretty solid, but we don't know enough about him to feel as invested in him as we do with Polnareff. We get Kakyoin's motivation of wanting to be a MILF hunter, I guess. But with Polnareff, it's like you get every aspect of Polnareff all in one episode. And it's just great. Like, I know this character well coming out of this episode. So, yeah, I think it's a fantastic way to introduce a, a Joe Bro. What about you? Yeah. Good last um, <laughs> Star Dust Crusader. Or not last because, again, we have Iggy. But um, other than that. It's your standard stand of the week fair. Um, again, with this being the second to last um, introduction of uh, the Stardust Crusader, Polnareff. Uh, and then, yeah, you, ha- you have the return to the faux-turned friend Jojo trope, of course, that we've all come to know and love. And kind of similar to what you pointed out, it was it was nice getting reacclimated with Polnareff again, um, especially since he is one of the few Crusaders I guess outside of Jotaro and Joseph that have this very compelling backstory, uh, which gives him a little bit more skin in this game against uh, Dio. And yeah, I I mentioned before, I wasn't too fond of Polnareff when I first watched part three, but, you know, watching this episode and getting to your point, seeing him, and all his personalities and moods come out um, in the fight and post-fight. Hopefully, I'll gain a newfound appreciation for Polnareff with our second rewatch of Part 3. Yeah, I can't wait for what's ahead. It's going to be a lot of shit on the open seas um, and some weird lewd shit and all sorts of fun stuff so we're we're in and for monkey a shit yeah it's a or monkey orangutan shit. <laughs> <laughs> we're in for a wild ride um enemy stand user of the week but thank you everyone for tuning in hope you've been enjoying our review series of part three stardust crusaders and that wraps up this episode. Subscribe to Strictly Jojo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series and tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued. The pompous Polnarefu challenges Avdal to an old-fashioned standoff at Hong Kong's aesthetically outrageous Tiger Balm Garden. (laughs) What is so funny? It's a garden. (laughs) Let me do it again.